Welcome to the Northern Lights Show. I'm your co-host, Maple. And I'm Flapjack. How you doing, Flapjack? Doing good. Doing good. Fantastic. Well, we are just four days away from the federal election approaching quickly. Very right. exciting time in Canadian politics. And we have a great yes. show. What do we have, Flapjack? Indeed, we do. So we're going to take a quick look at the polls to see what it's looking like as we approach this final leg of the race for each party. And then we're going to do a breakdown, a little bit of a deep dive into each party as they do approach the final voting day and what they're trying to do to get the last little bit of votes turnout for them. We're then going to swing on over to climate because that is a big part of this election. And we're going to take a look at what the different parties are saying on that and what people are saying on that because really it comes down to what the people um, ultimately believe. I then have something on my mind regarding the protests that I want to dig into. And then you've got something interesting for us regarding partisanship in Canada. Indeed, we do. Well, let's just take a moment and look at the polls today. Because it is showing that the odds of a liberal minority is increasing as a small lead on the conservatives holds. What do we have to say about this slight edge that the Liberals were able to make? Yeah, I think it comes down to a lot of the fear tactics that Trudeau is tapping into now. Uh, He is trying to lean uh, heavily into the idea that the Conservatives are going to roll back a lot of the progress we've seen over the years, not just from Trudeau himself, but just in general in our society Uh, I'm surprised it's working as well as it is. To be honest, I think that O'Toole is running a very clean race himself, and he is not coming out sounding insane, as you might expect some people with, um, on the conservative side, when, especially when they're voting on, um, uh, gay rights as well as, uh, transgender issues. So it's, it's interesting to see that he is able to toe that line quite well, in my opinion. However, uh, I think that, Liberals are tapping into some fear that, and it seems to be working because, like you said, they haven't they haven't lost that edge. So it does seem like they will be getting the minority government once again. Yes, I believe the conserv- conservatives had a had good mes- messaging in terms of we're going to ba- balance the budget, but in a decade from now, they do offer a lot of infrastructure and spending and social programs that will help many Canadians. So I think Aaron O'Toole and the progressive conservatives, they kind of learned their lesson from 2019, staying away from the social issues, as you said, abortion, gay rights, trans rights. They're just avoiding it all together and keeping their eye on the economy and job growth. That's right. And I will also say that as we have their platforms being updated, we are now actually getting numbers to start crunching on our own. And I think that's also why uh, the liberals have still held that slight edge because the conservatives are ultimately more conservative than the liberals when it comes to spending. And so uh, people know that they're going to not they're not going to see a lot of help their way initially based on how the conservatives have structured their plan. And also certain groups of people aren't going to see as much help while the conservatives, I will commend them where credits due, are trying to help very low income earners there is that middle bracket that seems left out in the conservatives platform but we'll get into that later in the show 
I think this election comes down to who is the better centrist between the two parties. Are the liberals the best centrist party, or is it the progressive conservatives? Is this the battle for the middle? It it does seem like that, doesn't it? Like, it does seem that uh, the liberals have definitely stepped away from really leaning into that go green um, social change that we saw in some other elections in the past from Trudeau. This time around, he knows that the, the real bottom line is Canada needs to get out of this pandemic and get recovered. And so he is trying to appeal to that centrist voter who doesn't really know what's in, in store in the future for them because this pandemic has got a lot of us asking questions about what does the next stages and, and what does the future of Canada even look like post-pandemic? And so I think, yeah, he has to really kind of toe that line because there's still a lot of people on the left who are... Uh, upset with his past performances in the green energy department as well as the social issues and reconciliation that was promised and and voting uh, change and all the rest of it so uh, he's got to find voters somewhere and uh, the NDP seem to be really pushing the left agenda and I don't think the liberals can keep up so you're right I think ultimately they have to grab that center voting block and the conservatives know they cannot win by simply appealing to the extremes on their side they need to bring people back into their party which they have abandoned for so long and what do those on the left need to do to secure their foothold in this election yeah, so I think what really it comes down to is educating people and explaining to people what it is that they're talking about. Because we saw here in Ontario, for example, that the NDP had a lot of good ideas in their uh, in their runnings for the premiership of Ontario. However, the conservatives are easily able to dismantle it by simply saying, Who's going to pay for it? Where's this money coming from? How do you how do you even expect to run a system where you're going to give everyone free eye care or free uh, pharmacare, for example? Now that that is actually on the table for a lot of these parties and the federal side of things, it's great news. But at that time in Ontario, the NDP were just not able to teach and educate people how their platform would work. And so I think that is ultimately the challenge of the left in almost every country is trying to explain how their platform can work because people see so many things for free or at discounts uh, and they're like how does this even work explain the finances to me and so i think that is the ultimate goal and it's a tough one it's a tough one for a lot of people to wrap their head around even if you do lean left to figure out where this money comes from okay gotcha what must the pc party do to secure a minority government yeah, uh, so this they, they need to convince people, and I think they've been doing a fair job of it for sure, but they need to convince people that they are not the fringes, the loudest voices of their party, that they are actually center-right and not right. And so it comes down to messaging, and it comes down to uh, Aaron O'Toole being, a, a quite honestly, a good spokesperson for them in that on that front um, as much as I would disagree with some of his platform I do think he is very good at making it seem like his party is not the fringe of its voting block and that's what they got to do they need to explain to people that 
that they have a diverse group of voters and they have a, di- a diverse group of um, MPs in Parliament, but that they still hold these values that are common to all Canadians. And and right now, I do think they're doing a good job of it, but the Liberals are hitting back hard, and I think that's what's holding them back. They need to overcome those attacks that the Liberals are, uh, I think, being effective at in putting on them. Gotcha. Let's just turn this around uh, one second here in terms of these leaders and their longevity in politics if they if they do decide to stay in politics. For instance, Jade Meat, he definitely seems to have a strong footing with millennials and even Zoomers. I believe he was even uh, Twitch streaming not too long ago. Highly yeah, unlikely he he'll be the Nets prime minister after the 44th election. That being said... In terms of longevity and his career, what would he need to do as leader to eventually reach that spot? Well, I think for any NDP leader, uh, ultimately they need to make progress, and that's the only that's the bottom line for them. I don't think that anyone is expecting the NDP to win this election, but they do need to make progress in their seats. Uh, they need to make progress in terms of their voting uh, block, and they need to make progress in terms of their funding. Uh, all across the board, these are the issues that, that need to happen for the NDP. And if the leader can't get those items done within the party, then the party will simply look for someone else to try and lead them because they they want to stay relevant. And they have they, they saw they got a taste of being the official opposition and they don't want to lose that momentum. And right now, if they don't make progress, they will be losing momentum because it's been years now since they have had that kind of support across the country, at least voting-wise. Their policies, I think, are widely uh, accepted by most Canadians. However, they need to get the votes. And so that's what it's going to come down to for him and his longevity as the leader of the party. Uh, and even in the party, because as we see a lot of the time, when the leaders are removed from their leadership, they often, shortly after at least, uh, exit the party and go into the private sector. Precisely. Now, let's just turn this around once more. Uh, 2019, Andrew Scheer lost the federal election, the for, uh, 43rd federal election, but he did get the popular vote. He did win that. However, his leadership in the party did not last that long. And now we have Aaron O'Toole, who more than likely than not will remain as opposition leader. But do you think that he'll he'll be able to stay in that role? I do. I, I think uh, the fact that he has closed the gap, which the liberals were... At, at very least, the liberals themselves were projecting a majority. Otherwise, they wouldn't have called this election. The fact that he has really closed that gap, and it currently is anybody's game right now in terms of who does come out with that minority leadership, I, I think that is enough for him to show his success to the rest of his party and say, hey, we made some great strides here. Obviously, we can look at a lot of what was done during the pandemic and people rightly or wrongly were at least happy with a lot of the policies and um, for the most part 
we have done a good job towards the, to end the, the end of this pandemic that people voted for Trudeau. But once this is done and we can talk about a lot of uh, issues that are not related to the pandemic, he might have a, a chance to upset him at some point. And so I think he makes a good case to stick around in the party as the leader. Uh, but like I said, we've seen in more modern day people who fail to get the leadership role and then get to the prime minister in these parties, they end up leaving uh, simply because the party is looking for someone to make that giant leap next time around. I really don't like that strategy. And I I think it's, it's the wrong way to go for these parties. Uh, I think it's much better for people to see a consistent person there and, and try to get a little bit more out of them each time around. But, Obviously, if if someone is the wrong direction for the party, they're they're going to be ousted from the leadership role. Yes, very good points, Flapjack. So yeah, I think um, maybe we'll do a quick deep dive into the last few steps that these parties are uh, taking towards the end of the election, and I want to throw up on the on the screen here this recent face to face that. CBC ran, which I found pretty interesting. Well, you got supposedly real people asking questions directly to the party leaders, and uh, it allowed it, it allowed people to ask follow up questions that were sometimes uncomfortable for these leaders to to face. And I I really enjoy that because I think too often, um, not in the debates, but too often outside of the debates, they get basically a free pass to just spout their talking points. And while that is true, you, if you watch these videos that are on the CBC YouTube and CBC uh, webpage, you'll see a lot of that. There is some pushback, which I really enjoy, because then you get to the crux of the issues here, that some of these some of these answers they have just don't answer the question. Uh, and so that that's why I actually thought this was a pretty good segment. I would have liked maybe another debate, but anyway... Uh, so yeah, on, on Trudeau's face-to-face, uh, some of the big points that were brought up uh, towards him were actually in terms of uh, Canada's diversity, which we all agree is a strength. However, some people will, are being very negative towards uh, other people in our society that don't look exactly like them. And so Trudeau was pressed not only for Indigenous people, but also for people from other countries that have that have moved here or were born here but their ancestry is from another country and they're being being harassed in the grocery stores and stuff and trudeau kind of struggled to answer this he he was saying that uh you know they've they've put in place laws that define terrorism in canada and included a lot of white supremacist groups uh which i think is good but that's really all they've done and is there more they can do i mean uh what do you think maple like how do you even combat this as the prime minister Trudeau was kind of flustered, had no real answer for this. I believe Trudeau is a little bit divisive. Um, he was on the campaign trail, I believe, a week, a week and a half ago. And he, he was referring to these anti-vats protesters, these lock, anti-lockdown people, which encompasses a large group of people. It's not just fringe right people. It's, you know, those Q people. Um, definitely uh, anti-lockdown. It, it's it's a coming of all ages type of group, all ages, all different groups. 
And he was calling these people, you people are the reason why we can't get our economy back in gear. You're the reason why we have to have these strict um, health care measures. Definitely very divisive language as well. Yes. Uh, yeah, considering that Trudeau needs to win over people that would vote for the PC party. Right. Uh, I, I will also point out just on that note that we see that same rhetoric um, from uh, Hillary Clinton during her presidential run, right? When, when she's talking about Trump voters, she basket she of deplorables. Language. Yes. I remember. Yeah. I remember fondly flapjack. Yes. So it, it is interesting to see that dynamic and will it be different here in, in Canada? Uh, I, I also want to note that we've seen something similar, not quite you people, but something similar from the, premier of ontario who is constantly having to talk down his own voters essentially the people who voted for him are the ones that are also protesting him now but it's telling them that look it is it is you guys that are filling up our hospitals and you guys are protesting our hospitals and you guys just need to get out of the way and so we do see leaders stepping up and taking on uh these groups and i will say that uh, trudeau made an interesting statement during this face-to-face where he was uh, a reporter pushed back on that on his answer and asked him are, are you are you scared that you're maybe um, alienating yourself from a certain group of people who um, who just need more education and he said no I need to protect Canadians from a small group of Canadians he said this yeah so to me I really like Trudeau's rhetoric I think it does speak to a lot of Canadians and it at least acknowledges the problem which I think is really important what do you think Maple? I think it's important I don't believe it's politically effective it's too divisive in these modern times so I would have liked Trudeau to ease off the gas pedal I, I, I completely agree with him but you're you're on the campaign trail you need to Make sure that you win over people that would n- normally vote for the progressive conservatives or even crazier, the People Party of Canada. So that's my uh, thoughts. All right. Well, right on. So, yeah, jumping um, next to the conservatives. Um, so I will point out that um, th- this was um, given to all the parties uh, that were part of the debates except for the bloc because this was a primarily English uh, segment on CBC. So it was the Conservatives, NDP, Liberals, and the Greens. And uh, so, yeah, the Conservatives also had one. Now, in, in this one, the very first question was posed to Mr. O'Toole by an educator, a teacher, who is uh, married. Uh, their partner is also a teacher. And they were concerned that under the conservative child care policy, which instead of helping reduce child care and giving families uh, direct reimbursements, their their policy is essentially to help the market, as they say. And, and he does actually say this in his segment uh, that where, when he answers the question that he is trying to um, collect them, collect the what would normally go to the Canadians to help them pay for it. They are going to use that money to invest in childcare down the road. And so this person's concern was this doesn't really help right away, but also that the only tax break that they're giving anybody is for the people making the lowest income, the lowest tax bracket. 
uh, and because they were both teachers, they don't fit into that low tax bracket. And so he pushed back saying, this doesn't help me at all. And I, I, I love this because it, you know, it, it is a good segment to see people understand that while you're saying a lot of good things, like, yes, we need better uh, child care support and there are different options and different ways you can solve it. In that moment, it's not going to help this particular person. And so O'Toole has to make a tough call here and, and basically say to him that, yes, unfortunately, you make too much money um, to to actually be of benefit to from our policy point of view right away. But they believe that their policy through the free market somehow will um, alleviate spots and prices in the child care uh, education domain. Unclear how exactly that would work. Um, and so, yeah, what, what do you think about this? I mean, I, I love when these people push back and say, listen, I, I, I agree with these segments that need attention, but I, I don't agree with your, your proposed solution. I don't believe that conservatives have a really good plan uh, in terms of childcare and considering how much childcare costs for families and seeing how so many will be working from home, maybe even permanently. Um, I don't believe the progressive conservatives are doing a good enough job here. Right. Yeah. And, and we see that also uh, a, a follow-up question was then posed regarding his rollback of the Liberals' plan, which they've now increased to cutting their emissions by 36%. The Conservatives are going back to the old Liberal plan of 30%. Um, and O'Toole just echoes his answer again and again. He's just following the previous Prime Minister. However, the previous Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau, has updated his policy. And so, to me, this one's a tough one for Trudeau to deal with because... Basically, O'Toole is able to just piggyback off of a bad plan from the get-go that the Liberals introduced. What are your thoughts on that? I believe Aaron O'Toole is playing very coy. He knows exactly what he's doing. And he's just um, trying to make it seem as though his party is somehow going to meet these targets and be um, a party that can combat climate change better than the Trudeau Liberals. It's not exactly the case. They want to keep the fossil fuel uh, running. They want to keep that uh, running, baby. That's right. Uh, I, I Yes, I, I agree. I think that uh, he definitely knows that there is a strong growing sentiment uh, towards these policy issues that the conservatives are reluctant to really embrace. And so while it is a nice step in the direction to embrace something, the fact that he's just leaning into a, at this point, six-year-old idea that the liberals had, which was bad to begin with, kind of shows that they don't have their own issue. They don't have their own solutions to this issue for me. Uh, you, you know, it's interesting to see them attack Trudeau so much on a lot of things and attack him on the fact that he didn't meet those those climate goals and then say, but we're going to do that same plan that they failed to meet, but we're going to meet it. I, I, I just it's such a weird strategy for me, although I do think it will sway some of those centrists back over to him. Um, and just real quick, lastly, because this is a huge contentious topic for the conservatives, uh, there was uh, someone talking about the LGBTQ community and how the conservatives um, plan to reach them and even like help them because those communities uh, do need help. They, they are still oppressed in many ways. 
And uh, here is what O'Toole said that he and he said this very firmly that he he clearly wants the Conservative Party to represent more Canadians regardless of what community, including the LGBTQ community. And I want you to hold me to account for that. So uh, I do like this statement. I'm I'm hesitant because while he is saying it and he is saying it for all of his party, we know for a fact there are 85 members of his party, at least, that do not agree. So, yeah, for me, uh, the question really comes down to how can we trust a party leader that can't get his own house in order? What do you think, Maple? I believe we can. As I said, the Progressive Conservative Party did a great job of rebranding themselves, staying away from these socially conservative issues. Aaron O'Toole was able to do that successfully. However, there's many people... Many MPs in the Progressive Conservative Party that don't hold these policy positions. It is quite possible that we have many conservative MPs that don't believe in climate change. They might have the Maxine Bernier approach of, well, we'll we'll acknowledge that it exists. Yeah, sure, it's a thing. But we're not going to do anything because China and these other countries... You know, they pollute a lot. Why should China, uh, Why should Canada, such a small country, have to, you know, do all of this to reduce emissions? And my response would be, it's about sending a precedent. If Canada can do it, then maybe these other developing countries may do it. Right on. I, I completely agree. I, I think leading the way is, is the way to go. And instead of sitting back, doing nothing, and then pointing the finger... Mm-hmm. I think if we if we if we lead by example and then teach others to to do it themselves and and show them the way, I I think that is a much better global stage for Canada. And they're talking about how during the debates, I should say, about making Canada Canada this global image, getting Canada on the global stage, making sure that Canada is respected. Well, this is the way we get Canada respected because. Let's make no mistake, a lot of these MPs have a lot of, I could say, Republican uh, impulses, you could say, or maybe even have, you know, a little bit of uh, Trumplican uh, tendencies. Exactly. Um, and, you know, uh, with that, I think we'll, we'll swing on over to the complete opposite end of the spectrum and uh, hit up the NDP. So Jagmeet Singh also had this uh, face-to-face. And uh, yeah, so his his is a bit interesting because he is not currently in the, uh, the, the role of prime minister, nor is his party in the role of official opposition as of right now. And so how do you really see the NDP even tackling these issues um, in Canada and speaking to people and saying, vote for us because... We make the difference here in these minority uh, in these minority governments. I think uh, the NDP and Jade Meat need to show that they are a truly left party. The Liberal Party, they're more centrist, and they like to say that they're woke and they're a feminist administration full of feminists. But really, he needs to show that he is the viable solution he is the a viable solution to the progressive conservatives 
Right. Now, I, I will say his a lot of his uh, answers did reflect his idea of uh, economics, uh, the NDP's, I should say, uh, ideas on economics, um, which, you know, includes affordable housing, taxing the more wealthy Canadians and corporations, uh, as well as dealing with some of the social issues that we've talked about in the past. Mm-hmm. He did make one statement. Now, it wasn't directly in his face-to-face, but he did make it later on. And I just wanted to bring it up before we dive into some of his other comments. Someone asked him if he is willing to work with the conservative minority government, if if that comes to pass. Now, in the past, in 2019, Jagmeet Singh said absolutely not. If the conservatives win, he will instruct his party to block everything they propose because it's all nonsense. This time around, he actually said he would be open to it. Mm-hmm. What are we? What are we to make of that? Is okay. that showing that the NDP are recognizing the Conservatives' transition, or, or what's happening there? Okay, here's my two cents, Flapjack. Unprecedented times call for unprecedented measures. So yes, we need to encourage bipartisanship, just as long as it's the the right legislation, the right agenda. So yes, if Jade Meat can navigate politically um, as 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 he has been, then yes, I, I would not be against this whatsoever. Yeah, I think I, I can understand the people who are turned off. And I will say I read some of this was on posted on Twitter and I read some of the comments and people saying that this is the, the NDP have basically abandoned them. The fact that they're even willing to engage with the conservatives. Well, they see it as a flip-flop. I don't see it as a flip-flop. I see it as a reaction to the times. But they can believe what they want to believe. But uh, go ahead, my lovely flapjack. Yeah, so uh, one of the really pressing questions that Singh struggled with is this idea of the vaccine passports. Now, he his party, I guess, has pushed for this the most, although the liberals have also been quite vocal about it and um, they weren't uh, they weren't put under as much pressure, uh, which I found odd. But anyway, he was pressed on uh, how do you um, help businesses that struggle to administer this vaccine passport check if they're not as uh, up to date technological uh, in, in the technology department uh, as they maybe need to be to do these proper checks on the vaccine passports is that's going to be a potential additional cost on these businesses. Uh, should there be some help provided? And uh, Singh kind of struggled to answer this question. Uh, he he was his answer was basically that he feels that it is not fair to have the enforcement and burden put on the small businesses. Um, but he is actually more upset with the people that have brought it to this point, point. Uh, and he's not sure how to alleviate uh, the struggle that these small businesses are under. That that was his answer. He doesn't know how to handle this, and uh, I know we've talked about this a little bit. Uh, the vaccine passports, I think, are going to be pretty simple to roll out if all is done the way they handled the initial COVID app, but again, that does come down to privacy and, and what is in actually on these COVID-19 passports. But yeah, like when when a leader answers a question like that with no real solution to the to the person who is um in need and struggling, it is tough for even people who agree yes <laughs> with the vaccine passports. It's tough for me to say, yeah, that's a that's good leadership right there. Like what do you make of that? 
Well, I appreciate the honesty, but it is a blunder by by Jade Meat. So that is how I see it. Yeah, I, I think that the correct answer here is that if you vote for the NDP, they're going to make it super easy that it's going to just be a simple QR code on your phone. or like They're going to make it so that you have a solution that is easy enough for anyone in Canada to um, handle. Now, I will say, as I have brought up before, that having it be based on technology is an issue in and of itself because it does leave behind a very um, a very uh, low-income, uh, not-well-off group of people who don't have the technology um, and are unable to get it in, in a timely manner due to cost, due to, ac- due to access, depending on the region they're in, if they don't have great uh, telecommunication networks out there. So there is that issue yes. that does, does create a huge gap basically a segregation gap in terms of who can actually use society at that point. Because if you need the technology to use society, maybe that technology should be made free. So Mm -hmm. that's a question that I think is definitely worth going into. But in terms of this small business owner asking how they are supposed to handle this, I think you need a plan there, especially for such an important question as the vaccine passports that we are all going to be seeing very shortly across the country basically um so yeah that's that's basically it for for the ndp they did get a lot of um other softball questions thrown their way because obviously on the economics and the climate change they are talking a big game their numbers are kind of sketchy which is why trudeau constantly talks about how they received an f on their climate change proposal Mm -hmm. um from a bunch of economists because their numbers didn't really seem to make sense to people. Uh, so, you know, whether or not you're going to buy into that, that's another question. Um, but the, the main issues that Singh faced um, were a lot of these, a lot of these questions regarding his handling of vaccine passports and obviously affordable housing, because that's where it comes down to. Uh, if you are in the, in the, prospect of buying a home and you're looking at the market right now uh you're that might be the number one issue for you uh and so so that's where Singh really had to stand strong and i think he did well so he he says here um we want to build more homes that are within people's budgets that's not for profit housing cooperatives uh they're going to propose um to build rental housing a lot more in in inner cities and they're going to uh, help with financing that on terms of the builders, which is actually a nice idea. I, I know people on the ground who are buying homes, they look at that and say, you're just helping corporations. But uh, it, it's actually because there's so much red tape in some of these cities, uh, that is actually an interesting idea that I, I like people who, even if they're on the left, they're thinking outside the box. How can we actually build more properties? Uh, so I thought that was a pretty good uh, take but what do, you, what do you think about that if you were to incentivize builders who people already think make too much money but right now with uh, prices in terms of lumber and, and other materials being so high you got to get them building more homes how do you do it you have to make the big decisions and make sure that enough infrastructure is invested it's gonna be a, it's i mean it is a difficult issue that uh, Canadians are facing. The even rents increasing. 
I would say Jaymeet's solution uh, for most of this is to tax the rich, go after the very wealthy to justify the investments in infrastructure and in affordable housing. So we'll see how that plays out for uh, Jaymeet. Exactly. Uh, Well, on that, I think we will uh, turn our attention to climate because that is a big issue for a lot of Canadians, especially young voting Canadians who may be voting for the first time, maybe voting for maybe the second time because we have an election every two years now, apparently. Uh, so <laughs> uh, let's let's talk about that. So all these different uh, ideas are coming into play across the board. Uh, you've got the conservatives, which are trying to basically piggyback the liberals' plan from uh, basically 2016, to be honest. You've got the liberals who have increased it slightly to from 30 to 36%. And then you've got the NDP. It's not quite clear what their percentage is uh, because it does kind of change over time as they release more and more details about their policy. Um, But what do you think Canadians are actually gravitating towards when it comes to this topic? Well, as I said uh, during one of my previous monologues, it's existential dread. If you are conscientious you're a kind or polite person, and you have a family, you know that your daughter or your son is going to be dealing with the circumstances of global warming. Now, we're millennials. We're not really going to experience that much. I mean, sure, there will be wildfires, and who knows, Miami probably won't exist in like a decade or something. But More importantly, we won't experience the issues that climate change poses. However, because we're ethical and all, we care about the next generations. And because we love Canada, we want it to prosper so that we have clean air and clean rivers. And we just have a clean environment overall. So that's the reason why Canadians are so invested in climate change. And it's interesting that the progressive conservatives seem to be pushing this idea that they're going to be doing something about it. So what do you have to say, Flapjack? Yeah, I think um, this article that we've got up here actually has a really great uh, point that I just wanted to highlight, which is that when you're dealing with changing technology, especially with climate change, one way you have to examine the issue is that maybe the current model that you're working with is not correct and what they mean by that is for example before cars existed we didn't have highways but once cars started to become a mainstay in all homes and maybe two cars in each home because people both the uh both parents were were working at the same time all of a sudden we needed a easier mode of transportation between cities and that's when you start getting highways being built and so if you were just to stick with the old technology of these smaller roads between cities and just try to constantly shrink the amount of cars on them which is what a conservative approach might be in that scenario uh, you completely miss the opportunity of another mechanism such as a highway or such as public transit between cities Um, and so that's a really interesting point that i think is overlooked when it comes to these debates is that too often we're talking about these Um, one-off talking points that are very simple 
such as, oh, we're just going to cap carbon emissions on this company or, or on all companies in general, or we're going to we're going to completely transition Alberta away from fossil fuels. Uh, when what you need sometimes to do is think about how you can utilize other ideas and other technologies to bridge that gap. Now, what that means long term and in short term uh, is kind of going to be different depending on what field you're in but i think that's one area that conservatives really don't um have a plan or even even try to dig too deep into because they they really just want to focus on those quick talking points and then get off the subject um so yeah i i think that's that's one area where we don't see enough talk about it from the other platform the other parties because they don't they don't feel the need to because they just have to combat these one-off points uh so that kind of hurts all Canadians when that when it comes up like that. Exactly, yes. They should uh, all have a podcast. So, should Canadians trust the Progressive Conservative Party and Aaron O'Toole on combating global warming when they didn't really have meaningful policy not that long ago? Yeah, that's the weird question, right? Because for so long, they have been kind of toying around with this idea that while they might acknowledge it that it's not their business to try to deal with maybe maybe humans can't even affect it who knows uh they've now completely come on board with it which is interesting um however again this party uh this conservative party is fractured as we see on some of these votes which are just basic human rights and human decency votes uh, when it comes to climate, we're going to see the same exact people voting against anything to do with it. Now, luckily, they're a minority group inside what potentially is a minority government, so they're not going to have too much power. But if the conservatives ever were to win a majority government with those same people, those people can actually impact how the conservatives um, move about their platform. Because if you've got a huge block of your MPs that are not on in lockstep with you on your policies and then you've got the NDP and liberals combating you because you're not actually making the significant strides that we desperately need you're going to just flounder around and do nothing so that at that point you might actually lean into your own party's um, small minority but loud vocal voice and and lean into that um, fringe group and that's the worry I have as a Canadian, and I think that's the worry a lot of people have as Canadians, is that while O'Toole says a lot, how do we know that this party actually will continue on this path and not flip at some point to try to gain back some of that PPC vote that they might lose? Hmm. I think Aaron O'Toole wants to have it both ways. I believe I already said this. He wants to secure, here I am saying secure, the economy by continuing a business-as-usual approach with uh, his fossil fuel friends. While maybe or maybe not meeting these targets, maybe he'll be able to meet... Maybe if we do elect a conservative government, they might meet these targets, but these targets would have been set 2015. Maybe they can meet the targets from 2010, 2005, going back to the Harper uh, era. I mean, they just seem to be moving the goalpost. Um, They did do a good job um, branding themselves as this party that can only meet the Paris Climate Accord targets. We're the only ones. We're the best. 
But I mean, Trudeau has failed. He is behind um, compared to all the other uh, G7 countries. So there is a lot to hold Trudeau uh, account on. Um, so what do you have to say, Fletcher? Yeah. Uh, one one interesting thing about this whole idea of meeting our targets that I think is overlooked is that the so first first of all these targets are not legally binding in any way uh, they are simply us coming together with a bunch of other developed countries to state here's what we are aiming to do and we all kind of agree that we want to we want to aim for the same number to basically be on par with everyone economically but also on climate. And to, so the conservatives seem to have it backwards. You're not supposed to simply make the bare minimum amount. If you can go more, you're supposed to. You're you're supposed to go as much as you can. But the 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 targets you put forth are supposed to be on the lower side of what you're actually aiming to do. And so that's why I'm always kind of confused as when he talks about this. He's like, well, don't worry. We're going to meet the the 30% like the liberals negotiated. The liberals said that, but but obviously if you can go more, which liberals are now saying they can, that's what you're supposed to do. And so to me, I really don't, I really don't understand what the conservatives are trying to talk about there and, and who is actually listening to that because it kind of sounds like they think it is some sort of legal binding mandate that we must meet these 30% targets. And, and after that, you know, uh, we'll keep hitting 30% year over year, decade over decade. And that's it. But no, what we want to do is if we can transition more efficiently, let's do that. Mm -hmm. And I just really don't see any ingenuity from that party. And so they are now on board great welcome to the club welcome to science welcome (laughs) but but you know like let's actually have why don't you guys bring an idea for once instead of copying the liberals idea from from six years ago yeah completely agree flapjack uh yes there's a lot to be uh said on that uh yeah and and you know there's always the the worry that we don't meet those those goals or the conservatives roll them back because um, countries can update their 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 reports to uh, the other countries and say hey we just are struggling to meet these we're going to actually lower our targets unfortunately and and you know there's no penalties there's not a court of law it's just something that countries can do we saw the U.S. basically completely pull out of it during the Trump era so. Um, yeah, not binding, but obviously you want to be the leader and be better than what you even told them that you were going to be when you meet them again. Yeah, of course. Um, it's just all part of the rebranding of the progressive conservative. So I, I kind of just view it as a mirage. It's kind of a, a little bit of an illusion and deflection. Really, all they want to do is they want to seem progressive enough on their end, um, but at the very um, tail end of that, be helping their uh, their fossil uh, fuel friends and that industry because that's what they really care about. As as they said, and as uh, Aaron, o- Aaron O'Toole said during the English debate, he said, I want to secure the economy and combat global warming. Well, he wants it both ways, and it's not going to yeah. work. Yeah, I do think someone really should push back and say, of those two, 
which is more important because then I think we get to the crux of it. And honestly, the liberals too, because I think uh, too often they're able to both, both parties are able to tout that they are in favor of both economic reforms and, and changes as well as climate. And it's like, well, what happens when there is a conflict there? Like in Alberta, what do you do? And so, yeah, I, I really want to see a little bit more um, ingenuity and creativity from at least the conservatives, but also the liberals because the liberals, they take baby steps. Um, obviously, with Trudeau's first uh, mandate as prime minister, he took a big swing on climate. At least he vocalized it, and he got a huge number of votes, but then we didn't see that much action on it. No, no action indeed, Flapjack. So, do you want to talk about a uh, peaceful assembly? Or not so peaceful as it sometimes is uh, happening on our doorstep. Right. So I I have uh, been hearing a lot about what's going on in front of these hospitals. And I, I'm kind of, I'm kind of fed up with it, to be honest. So this is going to be tough for people to hear, but we can't allow protests anywhere willy nilly, especially not blocking hospitals. And not harming healthcare workers. And just a quick analogy I might make is: Would you even would you even let go someone to block a fire truck from getting to a house fire to save some people inside or save a block from being burned to the ground? No, you would you would say, "Hey, get this guy out of the way. We need these fire trucks moving." The fact that we have people blocking people from getting to emergency, blocking the transportation of people in in critical condition in ambulances is unacceptable and i i can't believe that we're even talking about this like this should have been shut down immediately and canada agrees both the liberals and the ndp are talking about putting in new laws to uh basically arrest anyone who is harming healthcare workers or blocking access to healthcare and uh before people start saying slippery slope uh issues i don't think that applies here i think it's very clear what we're actually trying to protect and that is people's lives people if someone dies in an ambulance because it's stuck in traffic because of a protest i think we can all agree that's bad we don't want that happening in our country and so no i don't think slippery slope applies here i think it's very clear hospitals are off limits and and end of story now as for mandatory vaccinations which is what these people are protesting uh, why the heck are they in front of a hospital? I will never know. Those people are saving the very people who are protesting. That's the lives that they're saving because that's who's in the hospital right now, clogging up the hospital beds because they're not vaccinated. So as for mandatory vaccinations, businesses have the right as the right as the right wing part of the society constantly wants to remind everyone that we want to be in a completely free society. So businesses have a right to say, Hey, we want healthy people working here, not sick people being, being sick is not a protected class. So if you're sick, they can ask you to go home. Imagine if you showed up to your job and you were just like coughing profusely um, and just were not able to focus. They would ask you to leave because you are not being productive at work so why you think that you're able to just show up with covid and potentially spread it to an entire group of people who who you work with and then potentially close down that business that is not a right you have and nor should it be 
if you want to work at that business and they want you to be vaccinated, you have to get vaccinated. You don't have to work there. You can go work somewhere else. You can start your own business if you want. And so, yeah, if if the boss says you need to be vaccinated, you need to be vaccinated. And that's just the freedom that they have. I don't know why people are complaining about that. As for the government's enforcing it, obviously, that's a slightly different story. However, I think they still have an obligation to enforce it in certain specific areas, such as schools and healthcare, and quite honestly, any sort of first responder. So police, firefighters, and obviously paramedics and hospital workers. I think across the board, those people should be vaccinated, especially because they're not only are they dealing with uh, COVID on a daily basis, but they're also dealing with people who have other issues on a daily basis. And there's just so much more risk involved for them. And for the people they're interacting with and then schools kids can't get it yet so yeah schools should have their entire faculty vaccinated you don't have to be a teacher nobody's forcing you to be a teacher so if you don't want to get vaccinated don't be a teacher that's end of story i i think this is common sense and this is just straightforward um ideas that we've had in this country for as long as we can remember we've had this in our military we've had this in our healthcare. Uh, facilities from day one you have to be healthy to work in these places no questions about it like that's just how it is there is no right god-given or country-given that says you get a particular job when you want where you want with with whatever disease that you're going to bring to it and no one can tell you otherwise no that's not true you have to listen to who is employing you obviously you can start your own business and go do whatever you want that's a freedom you do have but you don't have the right to come in and just say whatever you want in your place of work if it's in the hospital. That's just not okay. So I think with that in mind, people just need to understand that these these vaccination lockdowns are not affecting them as much as they think they are. They're just upset that now they are being told by a community that has been looking out for them, quite honestly, but they feel is looking down on them by telling them, hey, listen to the science. And unfortunately, these people don't actually know the science and they feel like they're being left out of the conversation. I get that. But that doesn't give them the right to hold up ambulances. It doesn't give them the right to come to work in a, some of these very serious workplaces such as education and healthcare, and infect a bunch of people. And also, I think this goes without saying, but long-term care homes, those are the most vulnerable from this pandemic obviously you need to be there to protect those those people who are living there that is their home you're coming into their home to help them and you're going to be unvaccinated and bringing in this disease come on people it's common sense at this point doing your own research i don't know what more research you need to do it's it is done the research has been finalized by every single board on, on all of these developed countries this is a safe vaccine that is protecting people at an amazing rate and we see that in the hospitals and the death count so i think the only people really endangering lives here are the people protesting and the people not wanting to be vaccinated and while it is their right to do both of those they have to do them within the the confines of our society that are not affecting other people because your rights end when you start affecting other people's rights Anyway, back to you, Maple. Beautifully said, Flapchat. So I just have a few points here. Um, 
peaceful assembly doesn't protect the assembly of idiots. And I think that's what, what we have. We have people who lack common sense, who lack empathy. They don't under they don't even seem to understand that they're blocking access to healthcare facilities. So we on the Northern Lights show, we support peaceful assembly. It is the cornerstone of every great functioning democracy. And that includes the um peaceful assembly of idiots or people who are protesting regressive backwards ideas. So I do believe it comes from lack of empathy, uh, common sense and awareness might be a little bit of mental health as well. Who knows? And I do think there's a good faith conversation to be on, to be had on whether or not the government did a good job during COVID. For instance, these lockdown measures, they did, hurt uh, small and medium-sized businesses, which, you know, we need for a strong, functioning middle class. Um, But there's another thing to be said about those who push back on everything that can keep us safe with their well-informed medical opinions. So I think it has become quite... it's, It's lunacy is what I'm trying to say, Flapjack. It is sheer lunacy and just... Uh, abnormal. Yeah, I yeah, it, it's it's interesting that it's come to this, to be honest. Like, it, it's really kind of confusing what used to be a very effective means to help marginalized groups uh, get access to basic necessities of life. It's now become a way for people who who feel unheard and i sympathize that is that is the number one cause of of these issues in our society when people feel like their ideas and their their um voice is not being properly represented on the government stage yeah however uh i i think it's also clear that if the tables were turned and there was something that was uh very like ultimately required for life on their side of things which obviously the the hospital is as well which is why it's so ironic i I, if they would just take a moment to think they would say no this is insane why would like why would we think it's okay for anyone to basically prevent someone from getting life-saving treatment uh in in just because we feel like uh we, we don't want to wear a mask or we, we don't want the vaccine passport. There are other ways we can do this. Why do we think it's our right to harm someone to get what we want? And that's that's ultimately, I, I just don't understand why they haven't thought about that. Uh, and that's what's really frustrating from my point of view and why I am losing sympathy for these people because you guys are grownups. You need to think about these things before you act. And the fact that they haven't clearly is yeah just really upsetting yeah i mean when it comes to like the vaccine passports or even vaccine mandates uh because their ideas are so extreme they view this as mandated death so it is going to be quite hard to reach these people i mean i don't i I guess my language has been a little bit uh, divisive here i mean we definitely need to talk to these people and create a discourse some people can't get the vaccine, uh, mainly because of allergies. I believe there's a, another medical condition, but I believe there's only two reasons why you could medically opt out of getting vaccinated. But um, 
yeah, we need <laughs> these people are Canadian citizens. We need to reach out to them. Uh, their ideas are a little bit loony. As I said, some of these people are the QAnon people. And man, they're kind of a little bit loony. But, you know, it brings us to another issue, which is um, tribalism. Do you believe that tribalism is at uh, play here, Flapjack? I, I think it has to be, right? I mean, otherwise, I, these people, if, if you meet them on the street and you talk about anything not partisan... Apparently, this is now partisan, but anything else, I think they are very reasonable people. And I think somehow this partisan mindset um, has has basically impacted them in a way that on these particular topics, they are unable to think about them in, in any other way, in any other frame of reference. And, and it's basically in the moment, I need to go and do whatever I can to get attention because I need... I need my voice on this matter to be heard. And honestly, I think that just speaks to what it is that they're trying to do is they're trying to get recognition, but, and they're going to do it with any means necessary. And, and because they think like that, they're clearly not thinking correctly because there are uh, a right way to do this. And protesting, harming people going into a hospital is just insane. It's straight up insane. Yeah, exactly. And, I've been, I recently read Rose McGowan's book. It's called Brave. And in it, she talks about how she left one cult, the Children of God, God cult, where they unfortunately molested children, and um, left that cult and joined another cult, which was Hollywood. She later wrote the story about Harvey Weinstein, um, which is definitely great. Um, so she's talking about how. All around us, there's cults, and we're just not prone to pick up on it due to our human nature and perhaps our uh, our tribalistic um, attitudes, I guess you could say. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, I've definitely had to call it my own uh, cult-like behavior. I mean, there's cults all around us, and definitely in politics as well. Um, do you have anything you, to say there, Yeah, you've Blackjack? done it. Well, you've done a deep dive on this, and uh, I think you've got something to say on this idea of, uh, I guess, tribalism is one way to do it. Uh, partisanship is another. Uh, wh- what have you been uh, finding out? Yeah, so I'm partially positive that partisanship is the reason for dividing our country. So personally, I don't see any political party in Canada that will ever truly align with my sense of politics. And guess what, Flapjack? I don't see that as much as a bad thing. See, partisanship is, in sense, a part of a bigger problem, and that's tribalism. Now, tribalism has served its purpose. But because early humans lived within tribes for so long, the wiring, these impulses, is hard to correct in modern times. It's quite challenging. Modern-day humans that are tribeless also known as the line lonely, exhibit pain, which is the body's way of saying, yo, dude, you're like vulnerable as shit right now. We need to connect with some motherfuckers, not to be singled out. It is true that there is strength in numbers, but our impulses to connect might create blinders to bad ideas. And that is what democracy must sort out, weeding out the bad ideas from the good ideas or the good ideas, from the great ideas. In tribal behavior, in partisanship, not that those two are the same thing, they definitely are not, 
they do pose a serious risk to democracy. So take it, take a deep breath with me. Soak it all in. And release yourself from any party you're associated with me and say, any party that I vote for will be based on merit and not my connection with them. There, that's it. That's how you solve the problem. Whew, we did it, Flapjack. We solved the problem. Truly, I cannot give you... Yes, I did. I did, baby. Uh, I'm so money. Truly, I cannot give you a solution, but it is important to have objectivity during this campaign as there is so much at stake. These politicians don't deserve, a, don't deserve anything but stern objectivity, not loyalty or trust. And God damn it, it feels good not to be partisan, Maple. Oh, wait, my name's Maple. You don't have to vehemently defend that political party anymore. More importantly, you're removing yourself from groupthink and bad ideas. Signing off, I won't part from any political party, but I will part from partisanship and that is quite a ton twister, my friend. Stay safe. Stay frosty. Maple out. Excellent. Well said. And uh, yeah, I think you, you touched on something which is, you know, you may feel that the party that you have voted for in the past is who you are now. But if you take a deeper reflective look in yourself, I think you'll see that you don't agree with them on nearly as much as you think. And uh, that's something that people don't do enough of. They they find one issue that is really important to them, and they will vote on, on the party that best supports that issue. But then after that, uh, it, it gets so ingrained that, that this party is, is supporting your, your one issue that you want done, that you then adopt their other issues, which you don't care about necessarily or even agree with. Yes. And that is why you start seeing... You start seeing, and you know, across the board, you are able to basically identify exactly where somebody says they stand on an issue by who they vote for. It's way more prominent in the United States, I think. But even here, you know, it's pretty obvious if you are someone who is trying to uh, loosen gun regulations, if you're someone who wants to uh, get rid of... Um, safe abortions uh, by doctors if you're someone who is uh, not okay with uh, homosexuality we know exactly what party that is and 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 that's that's the weird thing is that you know those are not the issues that that party is even talking about anymore and so why you still feel a need to vote for that one party is kind of strange what you really need to see is right now in this day and age on the 20th of september who best reflects me and my values and who's going to support me? And that's why I think that face-to-face -face that those, le those leaders did was so compelling was because you got people who were told point blank, basically, like, no, we don't actually have a solution for you in particular. And, and in that moment, it's, uh, it's always interesting to see because, yeah, there are Canadians that are, who are, you know, they think they might be voting conservative, but then the conservatives say, we don't have a policy to help you with childcare. You make too much money, even though in your city, because it's so expensive to live there, you are not able to afford childcare. And it's just, they're not going to be helping you this time around. And so, you know, really think about that when you go to the ballot box, because they might not be helping you. Go find a party that is helping you and is speaking to you. 
Yeah, gotcha. And it does bring this toxic perspective that finds its way into, well, politics, of course. And that's this party over people mindset where I won't even listen to my constituents. You know, it, it's my party. Fuck my constituents. You know, it's my party. I just want to make sure that my party's successful. It's kind of like how Trudeau called this election thinking that he could obtain a majority government. He was kind of saying, Mommy, Mommy, I want a majority government. Let's call it during a pandemic. And guess what? Mommy won't always deliver. Back to you, Fletcher. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I don't think he realized how bad that looks. It's so obvious that I think you know every single Canadian, whether or not you're voting liberal or not, you know why he called this election, and you can see right through any you know, tiptoeing around, oh, I just want all Canadians to have a voice in how we approach the end of this pandemic. No, no, you know exactly what's going on here. He thinks he did a good job, and he did at times, and he did a bad job at times, but he thinks he's ultimately done a good job uh, during the pandemic, and he thinks it's far enough removed from his other scandals, which he was, it was mentioned in this face-to-face, but not uh, a huge segment on. He thinks he's far enough removed that he can overcome this burden of calling an election mid-pandemic but people saw right through it and rightfully so and i and everyone needs to admit it whether or not you're voting liberal or not this is clearly a uh, quote-unquote cash grab although not exactly cash but he's just trying to grab votes because he thinks now is the time he doesn't want to wait for some real issues to come up down the road that he's not at the forefront of such as the economy and uh, climate change he's basically trying to bank on we've done a great job in this pandemic so far and let get me a majority so that i can you know keep leading this country so this is one of those issues like you were talking about where even though you may be voting liberal you need to take a deep reflective thought and say do i really want someone who's going to call this election mid-pandemic is is that not important to you the fact that he did just do this for the votes and he doesn't he doesn't even think about how this is going to impact our entire society in Canada. Of course, and political ma- maneuvering such as that, it comes from partisanship. So, I mean, it is dangerous to have this party-over-people mindset, but go ahead, Flapjack. Well, yeah, I guess right before we wrap here, uh, when that happens, if you were someone who had voted Liberal before, uh, and you're not too keen on, on NDP uh, for for any number of reasons. I, I personally think that you're not thinking about it correctly, but any number of reasons you could be saying, hey, maybe the NDP aren't for me. Uh, where do you even turn right now? Because as we've gone over, the conservatives, they're talking the, all the talk, but it's not clear they can walk the walk without stepping over themselves. The The liberals have disappointed on a number of issues in the past, and they're the ones that called this election. Uh, so you might be completely turned off of them. Um, and so you're really left with what? The Green, the NDP, and the PPC. And I think that's why we're actually seeing a rise in the PPC is because people don't know where to turn. Yeah, and I believe they exude a lot of anti-vats, anti-lockdown propaganda. So uh, some people that were um, in in amongst the progressive conservative um party um within uh, their constituency they've maybe jumped ship because of the people party of canada not caring and having zero responsibility 
Yeah, and uh, you know, you know, if if everything continues as the polls are suggesting, we may see your wish next time around. If they can hold on to this five uh, percent of the vote, all, they actually might be all invited to the debate. <laughs> all I want is for the right wing vote to be split. That's all I want. If you give me that for Christmas, I'll be happy. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting. I do wonder uh, if someone has a breakdown somewhere. Maybe we'll talk about it. Uh, during uh, the election but if if there's a breakdown of if without the ppc what are the odds the conservatives win at that point so imagine there is no ppc party all those votes go to the conservatives maybe it, it's looking like they're the ones with the clear minority win and maybe majority uh apparently we still have you know 12 percent possibility the liberals win a majority maybe that gets flipped if the uh ppc is not involved yeah, that's an interesting analysis. Um, the PPC have kind of stirred the pot here, especially uh, during this pandemic. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they have zero responsibility, zero accountability. They don't really care if you die. They don't care about leaving your kids with a, um, with a country that, <laughs> that has clean air, uh, clean drinking water, etc. But hey, it's all about free market capitalism, baby. So that's uh, that's basically the show for today. This is the Northern Lights show. My name is Mabel. And I'm Flapjack. We'll see you guys next time. Stay frosty. <laughs>